This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Oh, yeah, we're digging a hole. Let's see how we get out of this hole. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season six, episode 19 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, I Get a Sidekick Out of You. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Seeing Red. Wow. Brian. Wow. Yeah. These both um ended on a cliffy. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. People are hurt. A lot. A lot going on in both episodes. Both episodes have some very cringy moments, too. Not cringy like bad writing, but like cringy like, oh my God. Yeah, I agree. Wow. What's weird is both these episodes were filmed, uh, they aired on June 3rd. No. (laughs) I didn't Google it, but no. TV's usually done by May. Yeah, it was weird that they waited to post these out of order. And it's, yeah, it wasn't even the season finale. Yeah. Well, before we dive into all that, it was your birthday. It was my birthday on Thursday, and I'm old now. I'm very old. I don't want to talk about it. It was an eventful day. Yeah, it was an eventful day. You made me banana bread muffins, which were delicious. Mm-hmm. You got a back massager in the mail? An industrial back massager. You guys don't understand. It's a power tool. It looks like a power sander. It's got a thick cord that has to be plugged in. It is intense. It's great, though. I'm afraid to use it at night or it'll keep up the neighbors. Or they're going to have other suspicions. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's industrial. It's, it hums. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Like, you guys don't understand. You, it's, it's, it's called the genie massager, like with a J, which is weird. But the like, mascot is like a genie. So it's a genie massager. Look it up. It's, it's in te- and it's heavy. It's way heavier than you think. But it's nice. We just massaged each other all day. Yeah. You got some dice? I got some... <laughs> I did. Uh, no one cares, but I, I really like this game called uh, Elder Torer. There's games related to it, but they use a 14 millimeter size dice, which is an irregular dice size. And it's kind of hard to find that size dice, but I really prefer it for that game. And it comes with what? Like four of them? Six of them? It comes with like four, but like in that game, you can easily be rolling like 15 dice at a time. Now we can. It's just really no- annoying to be like, all right, I rolled four. I got two successes. I got to roll the four again. How many? Does that's eight? And then, so now it's just you can roll them all at once. You also got a dice rolling tray for Christmas. So now Brian's just following me around with this tray full of dice, asking me to roll random times of the day. <laughs> it sounds like a joke, but I've done that. It's just you know, it's nice to roll and get some successes. You know, if you're having a bad day, you just roll, and then you want it something. And you re-roll if you didn't roll well. Yeah, just pretend you had a card that lets you re-roll. You also got a giant Tetris piece in the mail. <laughs> yeah, I uh, we had a sound bar that broke, and I just decided I was going to just buy a new one. And Best Buy was like, we'll deliver it same day for $5. I was like, okay, sure. So we got this sound bar with a huge subwoofer. It, yeah, the box looks like a giant Tetris piece. Because part of it is long for the TV sound bar, and then the right. subwoofer is, I don't know why they couldn't just make it all the same length, but whatever. I mean, I guess if you have like a hundred of these in a warehouse, you can save money by stacking these like Tetris pieces. I mean, or maybe there's space. different products that are different Tetris piece shapes. Yeah. And it's one guy's job to fit them all into one storage container. And then we were on our way out the door to go pick up your fried chicken. 
But because we were expecting so many packages this day, the doorbell buzzed and we buzzed them in because we thought it was something more for you. Oh, more neighbor drama, guys. It was not for me. It was someone just buzzing everybody so that they would get access to the building. Yeah. We've told you about the many dramas we have, but across the hall, there is something going on. I couldn't tell you what. I I don't know. There's like a single mother with her daughter and the daughter maybe seems like she's a lot sometimes. Yeah, but like there's also – I don't know if it's the same guy, but there's also like – I feel like every once in a while there's like a loud man over there who seems like a walking red flag. And I don't know if it's the same guy or a series of men. But this guy was very angry because he wanted his laptop back. He's just like banging on the door, like demanding it, just like screaming through the door. Like, I mean, this is very public. Everyone in the apartment building can hear this. Just screaming at her. Finally, she gives him the laptop. The girl. The the girl, yeah. But he says stuff like, you don't have a dad anymore, all right? I don't have a daughter. You don't have a dad. We're done. It was a lot. Now, we don't know the whole story. Maybe the girl said, I don't want a dad. Don't be my dad. Stop trying to be my dad. Yeah, we don't know. Like, she could be a real bad relationship ruiner, like a, like an April. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, want to get rid of her. You know, ASA possible. Also unclear if this is actually her real dad or just, like, the mom's boyfriend that was, like, being her dad for a while. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, but uh, I also just wanted to listen to the juicy goss. We just wanted to leave and get our chicken, but I was like, <laughs> I don't think we can go out there right now. Yeah, I know. He's going to be like, you need to help me break down this door. So I hope you had a good birthday. I did have a good birthday. And then we played Blood on the Clock Tower with our friends over the weekend. Yeah, it was super fun. So last week we watched Normal again, which I went on and on about how I don't like. My least favorite episode probably of the series, maybe. And a lot of people had a lot of interesting comments about it. I'm going to stand by what I said as far as the music at the end makes it clear to us that this was a twist. It was meant to tell us, like, this is the actual reality. And Joss Whedon and Marty Noxon's commentaries and the DVD commentaries make it clear that that was the intention was to add this element of uncertainty. Like, the ending was intentionally trying to make things unclear for us as the audience. And I think what we have to do as fans of Buffy is just headcanon our way out of it. Just be like, nah, it was, uh, here's, a, here's a reason for me why that's not real. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's what I'm going to do because I refuse to just be like, nah, it's all in Buffy's head. It's all a delusion. I refuse to do that. I love the show too much. I love the characters too much. I'm just going to be like, all right, well, that was just bad writing and I don't like it. And so I'm just, it didn't happen. The, the thing you can say is no matter what the narrative decision was, no matter what they wanted us to believe was true, is you can say that this was, and we mentioned this in the podcast, this was just her delusion, like, feeding back to her stuff because she hadn't taken the antidote yet. It was just the last little bit of her delusion before she takes the antidote. That's what I'm going to believe. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what the writers want you to believe because otherwise they know they're writing a delusion and they never address it again. Yeah. I think that's the most logical explanation. But a lot of people had different opinions on this, and I didn't realize it would be such a polarizing episode. Some people really love it. Some people really love what it represents about what Buffy's been going through. And I think that's cool, too. I love that scene with her and Joyce. And like, Yes, that scene with her and Joyce is great. There's a lot of good themes in the episode, so I understand why you don't like it, but there is a lot to like about it as well. I mean, mostly it's just that last little bit is what yeah. ruins it for me. There's so much about the episode that is good. It's just that last little bit. So if people like the episode, that's cool. And if you headcanon your way out of it, you know, it's like, oh, it was a different universe Buffy was seeing or, you know, it was an alternate reality she could have lived. Whatever. It doesn't. Sure. Whatever you want to believe is fine. Let's just all agree that that's not reality and Buffy's real (laughs) because that's what (laughs) we want. And this week it gets real. Yeah. This week we're like, oh, maybe we go back to that crazy reality. (laughs) That was way more comforting than what happens in this episode. I don't think this episode's bad. I'm just saying some rough stuff happens in it. (laughs) Yeah. 
But first, this week we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, can you tell us about I Get a Sidekick Out of You? Guys, everybody, listen up. Guess what? What? It's wedding day. Oh, Lorelai's? No, it's never going to be Lorelai's wedding day, okay? Mm, okay. She makes that abundantly clear. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Kim is preparing for Lane's wedding day. Lane's extended family is there. Everyone's helping out. She's got an aunt who, like, kicks ass at making, like, the exact right amount of spicy kimchi. Mrs. Kim is being cool. She, like, checks the kimchi, and she's like, great job. She, like, compliments the aunt. Things are going great. Lane comes down. Is like, is there anything I can do? And Mrs. Kim's like, no, go read those Bible passages I underlined for you. <laughs> Her whole family comes over to like, they're so excited to see her. And Mrs. Kim is like, go back to work, go back to work. They say some stuff in Korean. And then she's like, and she will have children at the proper time. <laughs> okay. Were they asking that? Must have been. It's a great opening. Everyone's excited about it. It's fun to see Mrs. Kim like totally on board for Lane's wedding. Since they're usually like at odds about everything, you know. So this is really nice. Lorelai arrives with the dress that she altered. You know, it was this ugly, ugly, ugly dress that was just like a sheet, essentially, that was going to go over Lane. And she was supposed to do minor alterations, but she's altered it completely. It's a, it's a different dress at this point. Right. And this was intentional, so Lane could, like, have an actual wedding dress for the party. But before Mrs. Kim can be upset about these alterations, she has to leave and take a phone call. And when she comes back, she's just, like, completely discombobulated. Almost like she's, like, in shock. Like, she just heard the devastating news of what happens on Buffy this episode. <laughs> she, like, forgot Lorelai showed up. <laughs> yeah, she's like, what are you doing here? The dress. Oh, yeah, right. How much do I owe you? She, like, sees the dress and, like, doesn't even compute that there's a dress that's been altered. But then a few minutes later, she, like, comes to and chases Lorelai out the door because she remembers that Lorelai said that she's coming alone to the party, that Luke is out of town. And she's like, no, 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 you have to bring a date. When she catches her outside, she's like, a woman like you dress how you usually dress, a.k.a. like super slutty, I guess. <laughs> You've got to bring a date because she wouldn't like you coming alone. Who is she? Well, we'll get to that soon. And Mrs. Kim doesn't mince words. She says people would think that you look like a tramp who is possibly for sale. This is so funny, too, because Lorelai takes it all in stride. And Mrs. Kim is like, what are we going to do? And Lorelai's like, well, first of all, we should probably agree on a price. <laughs> I love when Lorelai rolls with, like, stuff Mrs. Kim says to her. Yeah. Mrs. Kim insists that she has to bring a man to the wedding. She has to. And also, Kirk does not count. Yeah, my first thought was bring Kirk. But <laughs> yeah, Kirk would be there in a second. He was there. Yeah, he was there. And that was all very hilarious. I don't know why Kirk wouldn't count, though. Yeah, I don't know. At the Yale paper, Rory is staying late, trying to get the paper out. She wants to get out of here, obviously, to get to Lane's wedding. Paris wrote an opinion article, but then rewrote it with the opposite opinion. And now she can't decide which article she wants to go with. She doesn't know which opinion she has. She says, either way I look at it, I'm right. I thought that was very funny. Mm -hmm. Then Logan's female friends come over to Rory to talk to her. I don't really understand the relationship between these two women and the, and the men. Like, are they just friends? Is there more? Because this... Part seems like there's more than just friendship happening, I guess. In my head, I thought they were always just friends. Because, like, Finn is always trying to get people to sleep with him, including one of these two women, I think. Yeah. But I feel like she always refuses. I think they're just sort of the women they hang around with. And Colin had that milkmaid girlfriend. Like, I don't think either of them really have girlfriends. But I also don't understand, like, why would the girls not go with the boys then? Like, it's all... I'm not sure if they're part of the Life and Death Brigade. Oh, really? Maybe not. Okay. Okay. I thought they were, but I guess I don't know. They weren't at that party in the meadow. Well, they're going to meet the boys there, and they're like, you got to come, Rory. But she's all like, I can't make it. But really, she's still very upset about Logan sleeping with those bridesmaids and isn't over it. If you guys remember in the last episode, he was leaving, and she's kind of like, yeah, I don't care, whatever, bye. And so she's like, yeah, I'm not going to go. They're like, please let us know if you change your mind. She ain't going to change her mind. No. 
Lorelai has talked Michelle into coming to the wedding. Uh, I don't know how much talking it required because he seems very excited about going to it. He's very excited about dancing and being like the center of attention at this wedding. And he's like pressuring Lorelai to go to bed early so she looks good and like not puffy at the wedding. <laughs> I thought this was very funny. He starts dancing to show off his moves. He has to dance to burn off all the extra calories he's going <laughs> to get at the wedding. Suki comes in panicked because her dirty cookies that she was baking for the bachelorette bags have expanded in the oven. They sort of suggested that maybe their penises have become very big. And Lorelai's like, oh, I can't put this in the, the bags like this. I don't really get this. First of all, I don't think they sort of suggested. I think they're straight up penis cookies. <laughs> She's well, like, no, hello, I Tommy Lee. <laughs> that she said, I don't know what, yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, it's very clear the penises got big in the <laughs> in the baking process. Yeah, I don't know if they, like, won't fit in the bags or they're just, like, so offensive at this point. I think she makes it clear that they're offensive. She can't put them with tiaras and stuff, but, like, they were already dirty. Like, Yeah, they're already penises. What difference does it make how big they are? I would almost suggest that, like, comically large penises are sort of funnier, like, less offensive or dirty. Yeah, it felt just like a way to have something funny happen at this moment. I don't know. I guess maybe there was some cracking in the oven, so there's some veinage now that (laughs) makes it too much. It would have been fun to have them reference these later. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, someone's like hungry. It's like, I have cookies, but I'm not giving them to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She like doesn't have time to remake them and has to go with this. Or Mrs. Kim sees them somehow. Yeah, the mom. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it's a quick joke. Then Chris calls to tell Lorelai that he bought Rory a sidekick, which I had to look up. These are yeah. like kind of like Blackberries. They were like little phones with like QWERTY keyboards that came out. Were they phones or just for texting? I don't. I'm looking it up again. I'm a big fan of MTV's The Challenge, and I remember this time period. They would always get like a clue for the next challenge on their T-Mobile sidekick. <laughs> it was just like product placement for this. I don't know if this one was T-Mobile, but probably. I mean, I really don't know because like I'm looking it up and it's – on t-mobile and they're like get your it's the coolest smartphone of all time but like i don't know that it started as a smartphone didn't marie have something like this at lorelei's bachelorette party she was always texting dean on some kind of like aol device yeah she's always got weird ass little devices but he gets her this and i think it's the idea is like maybe like a crack barrier you know like people get addicted to him or something lorelei also notably has a new cell phone here yes she's wearing like a hot pink razor on her belt it's just like flipped over her belt yeah it's not a thing. Well, Chris is calling to be like, hey, I should have run this by you maybe because it's like a big purchase, but just want to let you know I bought it for her. And she's like, no, it's no problem. Then the two start to catch up. They, they have great chemistry, so they're catching up. They're old friends. He points out that he listened to her advice about Gigi, and he's been telling her no and disciplining her more. So she's uh, way less spoiled and demanding now. Apparently, it only took like a couple months to fix her as a child, so she's yeah. fixed now. I like when Lorelai's like, no, she's just holding her breath till you buy her a Porsche. (laughs) (laughs) When he holds up the phone, you don't hear her screaming. Meanwhile, Rory arrives at Lane's to meet up for the bachelorette party. But Mrs. Kim is freaking out and replacing all of her Christian decorations with Buddhist ones. We find out that that phone call from earlier was actually Lane's grandmother. She hasn't left Korea in 45 years, so they didn't expect her to come to the wedding. But turns out she's on her way. She's also super Buddhist. So Mrs. Kim now is like hiding all of her Christian religious paraphernalia and like replacing it with Buddhist stuff to like make her mom think she's living that life. It's very similar to like kind of what Lane was doing with her mother with Christian stuff earlier in the series. Yeah. And Lane's mom like has her hide it under the floorboards. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Okay. I'm just going to do really quick. I'm so I'm such a party pooper, guys. I just just so quick and then I'm done. Okay. So this is. This is super funny, surface-wise. It's so funny 
to see when characters do stuff like this, when you have like a very high status character like Mrs. Kim, someone who's very dominant and rigid, have to bend over and become very flexible and a different version of themselves when another even higher status character enters. So like we saw this with Emily and Trix. It was so fun to see Emily, this ultra mean high status character, just like bow down to Trix and like go out of her way to like satisfy Trix, right? Very similar, very, very funny to see the tables turned on these usually high-status characters. But what I do have to say, and so quick, is that Mrs. Kim, this isn't like music or like food or like small lifestyle like preferences that she's hiding from her mother, you know? This is like a religious belief she has. Like Mrs. Kim thinks if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are going to burn for eternity in hell. And she's going to just throw that under the rug to, like, satisfy her mother's quick visit? I don't believe it. I don't buy it. it. Religious conviction is not the same as, like, a lifestyle choice. And so for her to, like, disgrace her religious beliefs by, like, tucking them under the floorboards, like, I, I just don't buy that. But don't you think you've, like, gone to church just to avoid That's a difficult That's conversation different. with your parents? That is, that is totally different. Because I don't believe that something bad is going to happen to my parents or to me by pretending – or by like going through the motions of this religious You're thing. You're trying to say she should be evangelizing her mom if she's Absolutely. That of a Christian. I hear that. And just based on how Christianity, like the stories in the Bible, it's not cool to deny God. Yeah, it's, I hear what you're saying. And so for her to just be like, oh, I'm going to hide this under the floorboards from my mother. I'm just like, okay, so your mother's more important than your savior? Again, who cares, right? It's a TV show. But like it just – to me, it just – given what we know about Mrs. Kim who like will read a Bible in a night, it just – I don't believe it. All right, I'm done. This episode's great. This episode's so funny. And it, this, the relationship with her mother is great. I just, I just really bugged me. I'm done. Let's talk about how much we love the show. It's still funny, though. It is super funny. All right, let's just enjoy the fun, everybody. Brian, stop. I'm, I'm not a curmudgeon anymore. So the grandmother arrives, and all of her and Mrs. Kim's dialogue is untranslated and in Korean. But apparently what we found online, and we may be wrong because I don't know Korean, she apparently tells Lane that she's very pretty and she's very happy to have come. But then she gets annoyed with something related to the location of the Buddha statue and also how stuffy it is in the room and, like, the room's karma is off. She's also mad that Mrs. Kim didn't come to the airport to meet her. So she demands that she and Mrs. Kim do 108 bows in front of the Buddha statue, which they do. And then Lane is like, all right, well, we're going to go to the bachelorette party and leave. There's something Lane says when her and Roy are upstairs hiding the stuff under the floorboards, like, right before they come down to meet Grandma. She says, I want all boys. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. The captions say she's saying, I want all boys. I was like, oh, that must be wrong. But even when you listen to it, that does sound like what she's saying. I well, just Rory says something about like like mother, like daughter or something like that. Oh, I see. She means she wants like all male children. I was thinking it was like a teen girl squad thing. Like, I have a crush on every boy. It's mm-hmm. a deep cut. But yeah, she does say she's part of a long line of Kim women who hide their real lives under floorboards. Yeah. That makes sense. And if if Lane's going to be having children at the right time, uh, <laughs> she better have boys. I don't know. Cut to the bachelorette party being led by Lorelai. The girls are picking up lots of beer from Dozies and are headed to watch American Gigolo at that weird little theater that Kirk runs. Lane has some other random friends, I guess. Yeah, it's like Lane, Rory, Lorelai, and then a couple of extras we're never going to see again. And Suki. And Suki, yes. Then Keon shows up. She comes running out like, wait, wait, wait. She had to wait until both Mrs. Kims fell asleep. She has a great line. She's like, luckily, all the bowing made them both so tired. They fell asleep so quickly. (laughs) 
But she has a casual secret outfit under her stuffy dress clothes. She's learned so much from Lane. I actually love this next line. She takes her clothes off, and underneath she's got an Avril Lavigne shirt. And Lane is all like, Avril Lavigne? And then, like, Kian just, like, calls her out on being, like, a music snob. She's like, Avril Lavigne rocks. You just want to listen to Joy Division, but you can't dance to Joy Division. And I'm like, yeah. Lane, just, like, I feel like in the show, there's a bunch of music snobs. And you know what? Some people just like music, okay? Taylor Swift is awesome. Avril Lavigne's got bops, yo. She does. I think the show's trying to rewrite Keon a little bit. You think so? Yeah, because she should be home now, right? Well, yeah, she showed up as, like, a foreign exchange student that seemed like not a relative. But after this Avril Lavigne conversation, Lane says something to Rory like, my whole family's crazy. So are we trying to say this is her cousin now? Right. She was just a foreign exchange student. Yeah, that's weird. She, I don't remember how long it was, but when she showed up, she was like there for X amount of time. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look it up, but I'm like 90% sure she should be gone by now. As much as I'm a curmudgeon and I agree with you, I just like Keon a lot and I want Me her too. to show. <laughs> I'm glad she's here for the wedding. Yeah. Just was like, what are you, you were trying to make her a relative now? Like, yeah, is she weird. still a foreign exchange student or did she come back for the wedding maybe? Maybe Mrs. Kim adopted her. I guess it's possible she came back for the wedding. That makes sense. We also just like, haven't seen her in a long time either if we're suggesting she never left. Right, right. We must assume she came back for the wedding, I think. Rory complains that her dad just like is constantly texting her all the time now that they both have sidekicks and it's always about like mundane stuff about like what peas he's buying at the grocery store. He texts so fast for an old man. Yeah, I don't. I know. I mean, I guess it's so we don't have to wait, but like, it's unrealistically yeah, yeah, yeah. fast. Yeah, for somebody who like has never texted before. I called him an old man. He's like 38. So. Which is, is young. It's very young. Right, Brian? And 39 is also young. <laughs> 38 and 39, very young. Okay, everybody? Both young. 39 and like a couple days, still young. <clears throat> <clears throat> So Lorelai texts them back that Rory's about to see Richard Gere's penis, and that shuts him up. Then we see that one of the girls is already vomiting. I had to, like, watch it several times to figure out which girl it was. But what's funny is we do see her, when they leave Dozies, she, like, slams some booze for a second. Then we see her vomiting, like, 20 seconds later. Lorelai's like, that's got to be some kind of record. I can't. (laughs) She must have pre-gamed hard, or she's just, like, straight up allergic to alcohol. Yeah. A little bit later, we find out the girls arrived late to the movie because Suki somehow got the time wrong. And the girls are bummed because there's nothing to do. All the bars seem to be closed or burnt down for some reason. And they run into the bachelor party. And Brian suggests that the two groups merge and hang out together at his aunt's rec room that has a record player. (laughs) They're all like, no, that's stupid. Let's go our separate ways and have bachelor and bachelorette parties properly. Cut to the girls reluctantly entering Brian's aunt's house. Yeah. Because they found nothing to do. I kind of wish we had seen this. That could have been fun to see this party. Yeah, I I couldn't really remember what happened in the first half of this episode. I I didn't know if we did or not, but it suggested, I didn't catch this the first time, but they're going to go to a later showing of the movie. Yes. They thought about like watching the rest of it, but they didn't want to miss Richard Gere's dick. So they were like, we'll just go to the next one. So it's only going to be like 45 minutes that they're there. They're not like just merging the parties for the whole night. I thought that they didn't really want to go to the movie again. I don't know. It seemed like they were trying to find something to do to kill time until the movie. Maybe. The next day, Rory is at her mom's house, back to texting her dad again. And Michelle calls to let Lorelai know that he got tickets to see Celine Dion that day, so he can't come to the wedding. It's almost like he's calling just about the Celine Dion tickets and, like, bragging about it. And, like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to go to this wedding with you. I'm not (laughs) going. Like, that's the secondary thing he forgot about. Lorelai's like, you've got to go. And he's like very dismissive about it. He's like, I guess I owe you some kind of favor in the future. But like, I got to go. I- I'll bring you a mouse pad. Bye. 
a mouse pad? What? I don't know. Unrelated, this is the first time I noticed this super ugly picture by her phone of like a weird looking lady. I don't know. I just was like, what the fudge is that? Oh, really? I don't know why I censored myself, but yeah, take a look at it. It's probably been there every episode. I've seen the picture. I'm surprised you just noticed it. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Well, I have one hanging above our bed now. Happy birthday. <laughs> Rory asks her dad via text if he can fill in and escort Lorelai to the wedding. He's psyched about it. Of course he can do it. Dude's rich and nothing to do now. So then we cut to Lorelai waiting for Chris at the wedding. And we see this, like, group of judgy Korean men, like, pointing and, like, shaking their head at Lorelai <laughs> as she's sitting there <laughs> unescorted. Super funny. And then Christopher shows up. And she's, like, announcing that she's got a man with her. You said you liked uh, Lorelai's outfit, but I, I don't. I just, it just looks like brown, just brown to me. But you said you liked it, right? I like the style of it. I think it looks nice on her. I hear what you're saying. And later, Ms. Patty says it looks nice, but she also says the things you can pull off with that body, which to me sounds like it's not a great outfit, but somehow you make it work. But maybe I'm oh, not. I'm wrong. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it could be taken that way. I had a similar dress, but the yellow was like teal. Uh, it was more different. It had more teal running down the front. But I don't know. The style seemed like reminiscent of the time. Mm. I liked it. Surprisingly to us, Lane is having her traditional Korean Buddhist wedding. Lane and Zach are dressed in traditional Korean Buddhist clothing. I don't really know, but that's what we're led to believe. Lane's outfit's really cute. Yeah? How did they throw this all together? Were they planning on doing this before the mom last minute showed up? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they did this all together. Also, how did she not let them know she was coming until she was, like, in the United States? Yeah, totally. So the wedding starts. There's, like, a Korean priest. Like all None of this is translated, once again, which is totally fine. But something being said bothers Lane's grandmother a lot during the ceremony. She gets upset. Mrs. Kim tries to, like, calm her down, which makes her even more upset, and she leaves the room. Mrs. Kim follows her, and the two can be heard arguing in the other room in Korean. We don't know what they're saying, but then Lorelai says, like, that sounds like the universal sound of family. Did you look it up? I looked it up. Apparently, the grandmother was upset that the statue was broken somehow, and she can't believe they started the ceremony with a broken statue. And Mrs. Kim is, like, trying to calm her down, like, it's fine, it's fine. And then the grandmother gets very offended that she would correct her in front of her friends, which humiliates her. And Mrs. Kim is like, these are my friends too, which upsets her even more. So they have a fight outside about it. She accuses Mrs. Kim of calling her senile. There's a lot going on. We think. That's what the translator on Reddit said. Yeah. Again, they could have just been making that up. I don't know. So the grandmother leaves. Mrs. Kim like escorts her to the car and is like very like submissive to her. The translation says that the grandma says, thank you. This was nice. I was like, did you have a good time at all, grandma? Also, why did she fly in for like less than 24 hours? She had to get back to Korea. There's a intense curfew there. (laughs) But as soon as she leaves, Mrs. Kim turns and says, go and like hikes up her dress and she's wearing like pants underneath. Yeah. Was prepared for this moment. Well, it feels like all of her dresses have pants underneath, judging That's by that wedding dress we saw. <laughs> I liked her dress, by the way. The entire party starts running to the second real wedding. This was the grandmother's Buddhist wedding, and now it's time for the mother's Christian wedding. The reason they're running is because there's 62 Koreans and only 58 chairs. Now, they say that, they're all running to get seats. My question, though, is, so some people have to stand. I guess that sucks. But, like, is it 62 Koreans... And some white people? Or is it just... Because <laughs> they say 62 Koreans twice. I was like, there's going to be even fewer chairs. But that's also just like so close. They couldn't find four more chairs. Right. There's room in the back to stick a few more chairs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, luckily, Mrs. Patty saved several seats. She's been sitting there all night. They're like, you've been here all night? She's like, yeah, there's 62 Koreans and only 58 chairs. 
Meanwhile, Lane and Rory have a very cute moment before the ceremony begins where they take a picture of themselves and can't believe that Lane is getting married. It's nice and cute. Then Mrs. Kin comes in, and now that Grandma is gone, she's like come to and notices that the wedding dress looks different. She doesn't have time to address that because it's time for her to tell Lane about the horrors of matrimony. (laughs) She sits her down, and she's like, marriage is a job. There's rewards and sacrifices. Lane, you have to do terrible things. The man's expectations will start early. Today, he'll expect things like you will have to kiss him at the ceremony. And tonight, Lane's going to have to do it. It's so weird because Mrs. Kim doesn't actually say what it is, but like she assumes Lane knows what she's talking about and also knows how to do it. It's weird that she assumes Lane hasn't kissed a boy, but knows what sex is. Yeah. Or like Lane wasn't aware that sex, like the Bible, if we're reading the whole Bible, the Bible talks about sex pretty explicitly. Maybe that's what she underlined. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All the Songs of Solomon just underlined. This also doesn't make sense because she says, hopefully you're like me and only have to do it once. Does that mean once on the wedding night or once ever? Once ever, I think, is the suggestion. And maybe Mrs. Kim just refused the night one and then waited a couple of years. The reason I say this is because in the last episode, she tells Lorelai she wore this wedding dress 28 years ago. Exactly. And Lane is not 28. Yeah. In this episode, Lorelai says Lane is 22, which also maybe isn't true. If Rory's 21 and they're the same grade, they'd both be 21. Whatever. Either way, Mrs. Kim either has had sex more than once or waited six years after her wedding to have sex. Yeah. Or there's other options that I'm not going to get into that are too gross. What? Like she had sex with someone else that wasn't Lane's father to conceive? No, they Lane? had sex and then she sc- into like a little cup and then she <laughs> kept it in the freezer no, until no, she no. knew it was time to have a baby and then she like <laughs> probably warmed it up first. I'm going to bleep all of that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your explanation? <laughs> I don't know, but something about the fact that Lane's dad doesn't exist Well, she had sex with him once, and then God gave her an immaculate child, I think is what happened. Yeah, maybe that's it, because he's definitely not around for this wedding. Do you blame him for not being around when your wife is like, yeah, he wants me to kiss him? What? (laughs) We had sex once. Yeah, I'm probably not going to be hanging out either if we had sex once in our marriage. That's fair. Mrs. Kim isn't the warmest person, so I'm going to need some sex. He's uh, noticeably absent when Mrs. Kim just walks down the aisle by herself. She doesn't even walk yeah. Lane down the aisle. She just I know. comes. She walks down the aisle and was like, this is for me. Like, this is, I'm so, <laughs> this is my thing. Then the wedding starts. And I just want to say that I hate that Chris is here. Um, it's so clear that he's, like, written in as, like, a wrench in the cogs. It's so clear he's written in to start sowing division between Lorelai and Luke. It's just beyond obvious to me. Brian was very nervous about Chris being there the whole episode. The whole episode, I'm like, no, 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 don't, no more drinks, no more drinks, stop, stop, stop. Here's what I'll say. Chris and Lorelai, as we mentioned before, they have great rapport. They have great chemistry. They have chemistry in a way that Luke and Lorelai don't in that, like, Luke is not crazy verbal. He doesn't play as many, like, silly games or bits like Lorelai does. And Chris does, though. So, like, they have witty banter that goes back and forth that's fun and fluid. And they also have this, like, intimate history together that just really blooms when they're having a good time together. But I'm I'm shipping Luke and Lorelai. And just because Luke doesn't have that kind of relationship with Lorelai doesn't mean that it's a bad relationship. It's just different. And one of the reasons I think Luke and Lorelai are so good together is because Luke doesn't express his emotions very well. But Lorelai is just so intuitive emotionally. Her emotional intelligence is off the charts. So she can just like intuit things from Luke. He doesn't have to say it. Like she gets it. And that's like what Luke needs. But also Luke is like he shows love through service so much to Lorelai, which is what she needs. 
she like needs a guy to just like do those things for her. Right. Like hear her bits, but know what she really wants or thinking. And Luke is not anti-bit. He like is cool with her bits. He just isn't as good at playing along with them as Chris. My whole point is just that like there is something about Chris and Lorelai together that's fun that I can see why people would ship them. But I, she's already in the boat with Luke, not the boat that's riding in her garage, although maybe that's a great metaphor for what's happening. <laughs> and I just feel like Chris is here to, like, stir the pot. That's like the writers every season are like, ooh, what do we need? What do we need? Things are going too well. Maybe we get Chris in there. Maybe we drop a little Chris. And Rory, Rory, she, she read the script last season. And she, she was like, you know what? I'm going to put an end to this. And she stopped by Chris and was like, don't come. Don't show up this season. You're done. And I was initially like, Rory, what a crazy cold move to do. But now I'm like, maybe Rory needs to do that visit once a season. Maybe she needs to go to Chris <laughs> and be like, you're not in this season, okay? Just shut the hell up. You stay here with Gigi. Anyway, the wedding has started. Lorelai tells a really cute story about how Lane and Rory first met and how Lane, like, offered to share all of her crayons with Rory. And she couldn't believe that that was going to be a lifelong friendship. Chris points out, like, well, they have their whole lives to ruin it, which maybe it was just a throwaway line, but it's, it felt like it had a little weight to it, almost. Like, why would you say that if that's not going to come into play? But we don't see that in this episode, so we'll see. Chris also suggests Rory could be next to get married, which is... Yes, and this is interesting, right? Because he says, like, oh, yeah, Rory could be next to get married. And Lorelai's like, yeah, maybe. And for a second, the first time I viewed this, to me, it was... She does this face kind of like, ugh, yeah, maybe... And in my head, I was like, oh, she doesn't know how she feels about Logan yet and all the Logan baggage. So she's maybe not excited about that. But really, when I rewatch it, it's clear that she's all like, oh, yeah, she might get married before me. Right. It's probably a little both. But sure. Yeah. Because she also is a little annoyed about the Jess thing later in the episode. Yes. After the wedding, Lorelai and Chris are looking for the bar only to find that there isn't one. So they're like, where can I get food? And there isn't food for them. Not yet, anyway. Then this, like, weird series of events happens. Like, a bunch of, of the Koreans come out with, like, a buffet that they set up very quickly. And then all of the Korean families just, like, get in line to this buffet, load up on food to go, drop off a financial gift for Lane, and then just leave. They just GTFO immediately. Yeah, I don't know enough about Korean culture. If, if you are familiar with it, is this, like, a thing? <laughs> like yeah. That weddings are quick and you give the gift and go? Is this offensive? Like, what? I know that one of the show producers is Korean. Amy's friend is Korean. Right. So maybe they asked her about it. But I just didn't really get if they were, I don't know, somehow commenting on Mrs. Kim or if, like, this is a thing. Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely interesting. I want to point out when they leave the church, Kirk notably is walking out with a cooler and what I think is a sleeping bag. It's like, why would he have that? But I bet he also was there overnight waiting for a spot. Oh, interesting. I wonder if there was like something that was cut that justified that. I could see that being the case because Miss Patty also walks out with like a cushion and she says she's been there for a long time. Or maybe they were sleeping together. I think that's just like a fun detail suggesting Kirk also was like there for a while trying to get a seat. It sounds like something Kirk would do. Once all the guests are gone, Mrs. Kim says to Lane that she's going to go home and go straight to bed and wear her really good earplugs that make it so she can't hear anything that's going on outside all night. Very clearly giving her daughter permission to get crazy and do all the things she would normally disapprove of. And honestly, this was like a really, really, really sweet moment. Like, Mm -hmm. I got a little teary-eyed here, because it's like, it was just, I don't think I've ever heard Mrs. Kim say she loves her daughter, but I feel like this is her saying she loves her daughter. 
Like, yeah. do whatever you want to do. I want you to have the wedding that you want. And she's like, you did the wedding grandmother wanted it to do. She, it meant a lot to her. Thank you. You did the wedding I wanted to do. Thank you. That meant a lot to me. Now do the wedding you want to do. And I, I am not, you know, it's your wedding day. You should be able to do whatever you want. I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm going to put a hindrance on this. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I am not going to ruin this for you because I love you. She also thanked her for like doing the two ceremonies. Yes. That was cool. Like, I realized this was probably an inconvenience for you and not your problem. So just her showing gratitude in that moment was nice. Yeah, it was very sweet. Also, really quickly, Zach is just digging the like Buddhist robe he had to wear. He's super in love with it. He's like showing it off to all the wedding party and like all the the guys and the members of the band. And I think it's funny that like, I don't know if Amy is just like, every time there's a wedding, the groom is going to be obsessed with a bizarre item of clothing. Uh It's just going to be a thing we do now. Like TJ's tights. TJ's tights, Zach's dress. There's also some funny lines from Gil, who's always funny. And he's like, well, you know, marriage isn't always great. Wait till you get into your first like dry cleaning fight. (laughs) Super funny. I love Gil. Then the real party starts. Kirk of course, is running a mobile bartending business now, and he has his boys start unpacking the booze. He has them, like, locked in the back of a van. <laughs> yeah. Let's out his yummy bartenders. They're too yummy to be out in the open. You gotta secure your yummy boys. Lorelai comes over and tells Lane there's something wrong with her dress. But there's not anything wrong with her dress. Lorelai has just built in, like, a tearaway bottom of the dress. So she's got, like, a nice, stylish, shorter dress that she can, like, dance and rock out in. Super awesome. Super sweet. Loved it. Which later also develops, like, pink lapels. Yeah, I know. It's an ever-evolving dress. <laughs> Zach's like, yes, my wife's got legs. <laughs> Their cake, by the way, is a replica of the White Stripes Get Behind Me Satan album cover, but with their faces over the artist's face. That was cool. It is cool. We see that the night has really become a party. Everyone's having a great time. Brian is dancing with Keon. You said there was a scene when he was looking for her? I missed that on my rewatch, too. Where was that? It's when Zach is talking to... Gil about dry cleaning and Keon actually walks past and Brian like follows her with his eyes Mm. but Brian's like in the focus of that scene there's definitely like some like undercurrent of like what's going to happen between them remember they're maybe interested in each other then we have this great scene where Kirk asks Rory if he thinks the bartenders are yummy enough specifically Troy because Troy's her bartender seems he put this company together for the sole purpose of bringing truly yummy bartenders to the lonely women of Stars Hollow. All of this is hilarious. Where was he last night when they needed a bar? <laughs> yeah, well, packing that truck full of <laughs> yummy boys. So he could go camp out at the church. <laughs> yeah. He just isn't sure if Troy's yummy enough, but Rory assures him that Troy is plenty yummy. This will become a problem later, I guess. Chris apologizes to Rory about the sidekick stalking and gives his sidekick to Lorelai, who suggests she's now going to be stalking Rory with her sidekick. This episode sponsored by Sidekick. Sidekick. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Rory takes a photo of her table with Zach and Lane, and then Lorelai wants to see the photo. And then she starts going through Rory's photos, and she happens to find one of Rory and April. Remember when they were in Philadelphia? Mm. She's like, who's this? She's like, oh, when that's, that's April, uh, hey, I went to Philly, and it was just happenstance that Luke was there, too, and April was there, and I didn't plan it, and he didn't want to introduce me to her, but it happened. He definitely did not. He really tried not to introduce them. Yeah. And also, I'm not seeing Jess. I was just there. And no, I didn't tell Logan about it. But I'm, everything's fine. It's a lot of suspicious things. And Lorelai is super sus about it. But she's like, okay, fine, whatever. And then she goes to get some more drinks. Probably not a great idea. Kirk is then furious because yummy Troy put too much fruit in Lulu's drink. So obviously, he's trying to steal her. So he 
fires all the yummy bartenders, and then makes an announcement that drinks now are serve yourself. All the while, Lulu's yelling that it didn't mean anything. She just wanted more fruit. She told the <laughs> Troy she was hungry. <laughs> but this is bad news because Lorelai's already drinking too much, and now she's serving herself. We also get a quick shot of Brian and Keon making out hard. 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 And can I just, can we get more of this, please? Can we get more of them together? Can we just do a, a spinoff of them being happy together? That's what I want. I want a show where they're happy together. That's all I want. I love it. Chris is drunk, and he sweetly tries to tell Rory that he approves of Logan. I liked this scene, too, because he's drunk, and he, like, admits that he's maybe not handling his alcohol as well as he used to. He's not, like, sloppy drunk. He's just, like, a little drunk, and he kind of opens up to Rory, kind of like, hey, you know, I just want you to know that I like Logan, and, you know, if someday you want to get married, I just want you to know that I, I approve of Logan. No need to ask later. Yeah. I feel like this is sweet, actually. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Lorelai comes back with an entire tray of shots. Like so 15 many. shots, like like way too many shots, and tells Chris that they're doing them. And he's like, uh, okay, he doesn't take too much convincing to at least start doing them. The whole time, though, I'm like, please stop, guys. You guys are going to sleep together and ruin the show. Please stop. Just weird. Call Luke. Just stop. Please stop. <laughs> the wedding party starts doing toasts. Brian goes up there, gives a toast. Then Rory gives a toast. Meanwhile, Lorelai is really pushing these shots still. After a few, Chris is like, well, I'm going to sit these out. And Lorelai's like annoyed that he's not being as fun as she wants. So she does his shot. Oh, come on, girl. You're going to get so sick. That's too many. Yeah, she's got to be hammered at this point. And I'm right. She is hammered. A very, very, very drunk, 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 drunk Lorelai then wants to give an impromptu speech herself. She gets up there and it becomes cringe very quickly. Brian was so uncomfortable. I am so mad I didn't film it. He was like holding a glass and like tapping the rim of it. You were like, I was like, don't break your glass, dude. (laughs) I couldn't. It was so uncomfortable to watch. He lost control of his body. So uncomfortable to watch. Like the whole time I was just like, sit down, (laughs) Lorelai. Just stop it. She starts talking about how getting married is so hard and how her daughter will probably get married before her and she will probably never get married. She definitely isn't going to get married on June 3rd. There's nothing happening on June 3rd. She just keeps mentioning June 3rd. So like pointed and venomous and like upset. And it's just, oh man, it's just so embarrassing for her too. My mouth is just agape the whole time. Just like, Lorelai, please, you need to sit down for your benefit. You need to just sit. There's no way Luke isn't going to hear about this too. Like, please just right. sit down. Chris and Rory then get a passed out or nearly passed out Lorelai home. Chris is just carrying her in. They get her off the stage, too, which I think they waited a little too long to do. Yes, totally. They're like, let's get you some coffee. Chris, like, gets Rory up, but I was like, Rory, you should have been up there a second ago. Absolutely. They get her home. Chris lays her on the couch, and then Rory gets a phone call. Apparently, it seems that Logan is hurt, and it's not clear what happened, but it's bad. And he's being airlifted to a hospital in New York, so she has to go. Just side note, yeah, we all saw this coming, right? Like, just the last episode, he's like, what we're going to do is the most dangerous stunt we can think of, and we're going to plan it while we're drunk. Like, obviously, this is going to go poorly. Chris is like, I can take care of your mother. You go. And he takes her up to bed. Later that night, Luke calls, and Lorelai wakes up to answer the phone. And we see that Chris is still in the bedroom, but he's sleeping in a chair. And when he hears that it's Luke on the phone and that she's awake and fine, he silently leaves. Lorelai's all like, no, no, it was a great, it was a great wedding. And then it's the end of the episode. So many questions here. Yeah. Do you think he leaves just to like give her privacy or just to not be in the room in case he makes a sound and looks like, what's that? I mean, I think it's all the above, right? He's probably was like, I'm going to sit here with you because you could get sick. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. Yeah. But he also slept in the chair. Right. It's, you know, we're friends. We're not anything more. I know you're with Luke. So that was all good. That's all gentleman behavior. But when Luke calls, he's probably like, Luke's not going to be happy to know that I'm in this room with you right now. Like, there's zero chance he's going to be understanding in the moment right now. 
So I'm going to sneak off and not make noise, probably also giving her privacy, probably also because I can see you're awake and with it, so you don't need me here anymore. Also, what time is it? I don't know. It was late. Seems late for Luke to call. Unless, like, she was supposed to call him and didn't, and he's up right. worried. I said that was probably possible. But there's, is this still going to be problematic? Because, like, is she going to keep this from Luke that Christopher, like, carried her home and, like, watched her in bed while she was sick? I don't know. Is she going to tell Luke about this? He's not going to be excited about it. I do think it's something that he would get over, but, like, it's going to be a fight probably. She probably has to, just because, like you said, she's very publicly drunk on a date with Christopher. Right, and, like, complaining about Luke not marrying her. So uh, there's just trouble to come. Trouble to come. Uh, So was this a good episode, Stace? I think so. Yeah, it was a great episode. The wedding funness alone yeah. makes it a very unique, special episode. Super funny. Seeing another side of Mrs. Kim was very fun. Seeing her be super sweet to her daughter about letting her have her own wedding was very sweet. Yeah. I think maybe because she was like, I had to do this thing I didn't want to do for my mom. I should let my daughter do what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I there's drama with Christopher for sure, but I didn't dislike watching it. Like, Lorelai's speech is almost like too cringe. But, I mean, I guess she was wasted. It's realistic. I wish they would have cut her off sooner. Mm -hmm. Or cut her mic or something. I I just don't buy that they would have let her go that long. Rory should have, like, come up on stage and been like, okay, that's it for my mom. You know, like, take the mic. Yeah. It was a very good episode. Very fun. I don't know that this was, like, a crazy hilarious episode, honestly. There are much funnier episodes of Gilmore Girls. But it was a fun episode. Yeah. It was very, very fun. And it had so it had those emotional heartstring moments. Mrs. Kim telling her daughter, like, I'm going to bed and you should have that wild party you want to have that I would disapprove of, but I love you, so do it. The heartstrings a little bit when Christopher was telling Rory that he approves of Logan, which is also, it's weird for Rory right now because she's all like, well, I don't know if I approve of Logan. And him saying that to her maybe is like, oh, well, maybe I don't hate Logan. Oh, yeah, because she sort of had a dig where she was like, well, maybe Logan can teach you how to drink better when he gets back. Yeah. Well, he says, like, is he in Costa Rica for fun or work? She's like, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. And the part with Lorelai on stage is cringe, but, like, good TV. Yeah. Like, oh, God, the drama here. Oh, yeah, we're digging a hole. Let's see how we get out of this hole. Uh, great episode. Very fun. And it's just fun to see characters happy together, even if it's Lane and Zach, and I'm not a Zach fan. He was fine in this episode. And we got the Keon and uh, Brian stuff, which was awesome. Yeah. Mostly all one story, too. Like, very linear. Yeah. Once the wedding gets started, it's all linear, but... Usually when I do notes for Gilmore, I've, it's, I've got to, like, condense all the storylines because it just cuts between, like, three or four storylines back and forth. So I would say it was a good episode. Me, too. I like this one. And now for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 6, Episode 19, Crimes and Witch Demeanors. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) The cleaners implicate Daryl in a murder after Phoebe and Paige accidentally expose their magic to the world. The future of their status as the Charmed Ones lies in the balance. Wow. Yeah. You remember the cleaners, right? Yeah, I... No. (laughs) They're the people who come in and... Clean up magic stuff to make sure right, like muggles the men don't. in black. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, and they're they're chimney sweeps with big flat garage brooms. Yeah, how could I have forgotten all of that? 
Oh, yeah, that's right. Every episode of Charmed is a crazy mess. Well, some of that might have been us, but... No, they, even without us, man, these descriptions <laughs> are nonsense half the time. Because, like, Wyatt conjured a dragon, and they convinced everyone it was a parade float, so they're still probably going to deal with Wyatt someday. That's what we said. All right, so Daryl, who we know... You also remember Daryl, right? So I had to do some research on what we said about Daryl. This is actually interesting. So Daryl... Right. Was a mysterious beast in the mix when they stomped out a manticore one time. Right, right. And, you know, Daryl, he's got the body of a penguin, head of a porcupine, kitten yeah, paws, yeah. tail of mm-hmm. an ankylosaurus. Right, obviously. Paige helped him get a thorn out of his kitten paw. Mm-hmm. Now, that time we were like, okay, I guess this is who Daryl is. But fun fact, Daryl had been mentioned previously and we forgot. Right. Mm-hmm. Daryl was a boy that they had rescued uh-huh. from some Grimlocks, an invisible right. boy. Right, they I remember, of course. Put in the cupboard with Andy. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually think in the real show he was that invisible boy. I think we made that connection. But right. we did say that invisible boys grow fast and have sharp claws. Yeah, yeah. So I think what has happened is that Daryl, the mm-hmm. young invisible boy, right. grew up into a, a man. Mm-hmm. But because he was invisible, they didn't realize he had the body of a penguin, head of a porcupine, kitten paws, mm-hmm. and the tail of mm-hmm. an ankylosaurus. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. But now he's somehow found a way to become visible, and they're just now realizing, oh my god, you're Daryl, the invisible boy. How did we not know? Oh, that makes sense. It does. And, you know, it does. <laughs> it does. And it does. Right, yeah. It seemed like maybe there was going to be some romance with him and Paige after she got the thorn out of his kitten paw. So, where are we now? Daryl has maybe committed a murder. Which is easy for him to do. Being is how he's got sharp claws and is invisible. Sometimes. Right. But he's so nice. I don't think he did the murder. So the girls are out at the mall just buying some clothes and an evil warlock shows up and tries to kill them. And they have a big magic battle. It's huge. There's no way to hide what's going on with this magic battle. And the warlock at some point is like throwing spells at them. And one of them hits Daryl and makes Daryl just look like a regular human. And he's like, oh, this looks kind of cool. But the girls kill the warlock. Everyone's like, what the hell happened? There's lots of magic. So the cleaners come try to clean that up, but they don't know where to begin. So much magic was done. Daryl's sitting there. When the cleaners show up, he knows the girls are going to get in trouble. So he just says, I did it. I did it. And I was using a light show. It's all special effects. And the cleaners are like, yeah, it just makes sense. It's much easier if we just grab Daryl and accuse him and say he was a murderer. And the girls have got to figure out a way to get Daryl off the hook without saying, yeah, it was magic. Because Paige also has like fallen in love with Daryl. So right. she doesn't want him to go to jail. Because if they right. want to save Daryl, they have to like maybe admit that they're magic and then they'll lose their powers because the cleaners will have to clean them. Yep. So they have to go to an actual court and they have to defend Daryl in court. Mm-hmm. The human court with the muggies around. And uh, yeah, it's just it's essentially just a procedural episode. Yeah, they probably didn't do it. Yeah, they probably didn't do it without proving magic is real. A lot of magic up top, a lot of paperwork at the bottom. Yeah, it's a really long episode, but they get him off on a technicality because the uh, police didn't read him the Miranda rights. Mm-hmm. Thank God. And they get him on. But the cleaners are like, we'll get you, witches. Anyway, we wrapped this up. This has been Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Well, we also watched another episode of television, uh, getting towards the season finale, ramping up, getting intense. Stacy, please tell us all about Buffy's Seeing Red. Well, this episode is about Xander and Buffy trying to repair their relationship after last episode. Willow and Tara are still repairing their relationship from the end of last episode. And um, Warren gets real bad and does some stuff. Yeah, a lot of uh, 
real bad stuff happens in this episode. Yeah, Spike does some bad stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff. Bad stuff. This episode could have also been just called Bad Stuff. Bad Stuff. Okay, so Willow and Tara are back together and have just been going at it all night. After they're done, Willow's worried about Buffy with what happened with the cameras at the magic shop and all of them catching Spike and Anya in the act. Seems like Buffy maybe stayed out all night, and based on how she reacted, Willow suspects something might be going on with Spike and Buffy. Mm-hmm. Tara's like, yeah, that's old news, girl. They've been boning all season, she told me. Well, it's funny because Tara's like, I've been wanting to say that so bad. Yeah, but we weren't talking. Willow's quite surprised at first, and that it's this serious, but she realizes that that's a lot and that Buffy might need a friend right now. So she goes to her room to talk to her, but she's not home yet. However, Dawn's awake. She also knows about Buffy and Spike, so Willow's feeling a little left out. But she quickly also learns about Willow and Tara when Tara comes out to the hallway wrapped in only sex sheets. <laughs> Dawn's like giddy to see them back together. She offers to go downstairs and blast the TV super loud so they can have loud, loud sex. But where is Buffy? She is busting into the trio's basement to end things once and for all. It's kind of still unclear where she's been all night because they say she's been out all night, but it's now 10 a.m. She already knew where they lived. What's she been doing? Did she know where they lived? I think so. Because wasn't she like outside of their place when they sent the Venom monster after her? I don't remember. You might be right, yeah. Anyway, regardless, they're not home, but she finds a whiteboard that says too late, and when she touches it, it triggers a bunch of gigantic spinning saw booby traps. Like 10 of these huge spinning saws coming from all directions. I don't know how they set this trap without killing themselves. But she pulls off a pretty impressive spin move and makes it out just in time. Her newest jacket, however, does suffer a slight flesh wound. Yeah, it's rough. It's probably the darkest thing that happens in this episode. <laughs> so she calls a little meeting of what remains of the Scoobies she's still speaking with. Willow and Tara come downstairs. They're still smitten. They're like, okay, we'll stop. Don's like, oh, you better not. <laughs> Don <laughs> loves their relationship. Buffy really kind of downplays how intense the saws were. Yeah. She's like, ah, there was a saw. I don't know. But she shares with them some items that she managed to snag on the way out. Meanwhile, Anya's trying to do some vengeance work on a day-drinking woman scorned. But she's uh, pretty distracted by her own shit. This woman's like crying about her problems, which are pretty bad. Sounds like her partner cheated on her with her sister. Yeah. But Anya keeps relating it to her own very specific problems. It's so funny. The woman keeps being like, you know, I wish. And Anya just keeps cutting her off. I know. It's a really fun bit. She's like, they'll say things like, oh, Anya, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. And the woman's like, who's Anya? (laughs) (laughs) This is about me. Later, Don drops by to visit a depressed Spike who's just poured himself a little Bloody Mary. Don and Spike were kind of friends, so she's sad that he's not going to be around as much, I think. She also cares about Buffy and I think is just trying to get to the bottom of the issue. She tells him about the camera in the magic box and that everybody saw him and Anya. And she asks him how he could do that to Buffy if he loves her. But if you were trying to make her upset, congrats, it worked. Meanwhile, the trio is having a little spelunking adventure. They're in this cave, and they electrocute this huge demon because they need his skin to make a skin suit so one of them can pass through a little force field that detects if you're his kind of demon or not. It's a lot of stuff. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff. Because if you're not his type of demon, you get sizzled to death, and they need something from the other side of the force field. It's on the ground. They're about to skin it. Warren throws Jonathan a knife? It's a switchblade. They could have thrown it at him unswitched. It's clear from this episode that Warren does not give a shit about Doyle and does not care if he dies. Or Jonathan. Well, I don't know that that's true. Because he and Jonathan have jetpacks. He doesn't give Doyle one. I think you're confused. 
What did I? Um. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 You meant Jonathan mm-hmm. and then Andrew, respectively. Right. And Doyle. It's very clear that Warren does not care about Jonathan at all. Like, uh, he does not care if he dies. And I'm pretty sure that Jonathan's picking up on that. I guess throwing a knife is a small complaint compared to what Warren does later. But yeah, Warren's playing things a little fast and loose with Jonathan in this episode. For sure. Because he shoves him through the barrier and then later admits to Andrew he wasn't sure if that would work and that Jonathan basically is just a guinea pig. Yeah. The skin suit is so gross. Not only did they skin this thing, but he's wearing it. He complains it's still wet. Like, yeah, no shit. It's probably all <laughs> kinds of wet in there. Yeah. It doesn't look wet. It looks like Danny Strong is wearing an oversized demon costume. Yeah. But Jonathan returns with a box that contains the two orbs of Neslicon. You looked it up. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I wrote it down when I watched it. One has the power of strength. The other has the power of invulnerability. And when Warren grabs them, electricity just starts oozing through his body. He's, he's different now. He keeps them in a little fanny pack. And they decide to test out his powers on one of the giant cave demons. And Warren just like easily defeats this demon now. That was hot, says Andrew. I had mentioned I wasn't sure what they were trying to tell us about Andrew's sexuality, but I think in this episode they're making it pretty clear that he's at least attracted to powerful men and also in love with Warren specifically. Yeah. Jonathan wants to try the orbs. Warren's like, yeah, we're all going to get a turn. No worries. These aren't going to turn already super evil me into someone more evil. Yeah, Warren is like, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're all like super beta males, but I just don't get... Like how they're like, yeah, it makes sense, Warren. You could just do whatever you want. You're in charge. I guess because he's like the biggest. And I don't know. It was his house to begin with. Yeah. Mostly his ideas. I think he's definitely the smartest one of all of them. They've, I mean, he's like a genius. He's the most confident. I mean, he like already had a girlfriend. I don't know. The other two of them have had a relationship. Yeah. But I do think that him like committing that murder has like sort of empowered him to just fuck it. You know? Yeah. I'm evil. Really embrace the dark side. Willow and Tara are at Tara's place tonight. Willow's hacking into one of the data CDs that Buffy got from the trio's lair. She finds some kind of blueprints, but that'll have to wait till later, since she and Tara are pretty distracted by each other. Mm-hmm. Buffy drops by Xander's place to try to patch things up with him. We're led to believe that Xander's maybe been drinking a lot. It's not like wasted in the scene, but there's bottles everywhere. Yeah. He offers Buffy one. He's drinking now. It's so confusing to me because he was so worried about, like, becoming his dad and being this, like, alcoholic, and yet here he is drinking a ton. Yeah. I mean, I guess when he couldn't reconcile with Anya, he was kind of just like, fuck it. This is who I am, I guess. Yeah. Buffy tries to tell Xander that Anya loves him because Buffy understands what it's like to be in a bad place and make questionable choices with men. Xander's like, yeah, I get why she slept with him, but not why you would. Right. She's like, yeah, well, you ripped me from heaven, remember? I was going through a lot, and what I do with my personal life is none of your business. And he tells her it used to be. I don't know if that's fair. He maybe used to make it his business. But she probably also did used to come to him more with stuff before. But he was always trying to, like, barge in with her love life with Angel, too. But also fair. I don't know. Stop dating monsters, maybe. <laughs> it's so muddy. Because, yeah, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, well, if she doesn't want to share that with you, that's her business. And later in the episode, Xander admits, like, yeah, I can see why you wouldn't want to tell me because I would have been an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. But in the same token, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be sleeping with Spike. Yeah, your boyfriends all want to kill us. Yeah. So I don't know. Xander's a little shitty in the scene, but I don't know that all of his points are wrong. Right. But if he's like, yeah, well, you also trusted Spike when I was dead. You guys fought together and you let him take care of Dawn. 
And he says, yeah, but I never forgot what Spike really is, like you seem to have. Would you trust him if the chip stopped working? And that's an important line. He eventually storms out, walks to the bronze, wearing an outfit that isn't that different than Jonathan drowning in the giant skin suit. What is with Xander and like the baggiest clothes imaginable this season? That was the style? I don't know, man. I've heard that like he got buff and Joss wanted to like hide it, but it's like he looks awful in his clothes. He's swimming in these outfits. Speaking of swimming, by the way. Speaking of swimming. Oh, uh, there's a bit more that happens before. Okay. <laughs> First, he walks by the magic shop where Anya is sadly dusting. So she does dust, I guess. (laughs) She didn't find the cameras, but she dusts all the time. At the bar, Xander meets a pretty girl. The bartender has spilled a little bit on Xander's hand, and the girl hands him a napkin and points out that he's all wet. And he tells her, good thing I'm part fish. Is he? Yeah, it's it's unclear to me if this is just like a throwaway dumb line, but like I do think it's a connection to him being like, I do have some fish DNA in me from, from season two. The trio also shows up to the bronze. More on that later. Buffy's in the graveyard fighting a vampire who kicks her really hard right as he's turning to dust, causing her to fall so hard into a grave that it breaks in half and her side hurts a little bit. This is also important. She goes home to take a shower. Spike must have been waiting outside her house, I guess, because he just like shows up in the bathroom commenting that it looks like she's hurt. To be fair, that's not unlike Spike. I know. He's there to apologize for what happened with Anya. He tells her he only went to Anya to get something to make his feelings for her sob and that she should have let Xander kill him. He's like, did you do that because you love me? And she finally admits that she has feelings for him, but insists it isn't love because she could never trust him enough for it to be love. Spike's like, come on, just let yourself go. Feel it. And then uh, things get uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like desperately trying to get her to say she loves him and to make love to him. But he definitely forces himself on her, and because she was hurt earlier, she's not able to fight him off very well, which she points out during this struggle, telling him to stop because she's hurt. But he he doesn't. He's trying to make things happen. And she's she's making it very clear she doesn't want that. So just to be explicit here, he is sexually assaulting her, or attempting to sexually assault her right now. Yes. Which is still sexual assault if it's an attempt. In his mind, he's thinking... Buffy and I had this relationship where we're sort of into, like, forceful sex that's, like, maybe where we hurt each other a little bit during, like, some kinky BDSM stuff. Which we only, like, hear about. We don't ever actually, like, see. So it's unclear, like, what normally they would do. Like, it's possible they've done this role play. I don't know. Right. And he thinks that if they have sex, because when they have sex, he feels a connection to her. And she does seem like she is into him. And he thinks, if I can just make that happen again... She'll see that she loves me or has feelings for me, and we can resume our relationship. That I'm not justifying his point of view. I'm just saying that is that is his point of view, and it's fucked up. And it is clear from her dialogue saying, please, Spike, please, Spike, stop, that yeah. this isn't a game. This isn't role play, and he doesn't stop. I think they do a pretty good job of showing his desperation, at least at first. Like, he's not necessarily doing it in, like, a mean You know what I mean? Like, he's not, like, vamping out. Mm -hmm. But she's clearly not into it, which he does not pick up on. This scene is also very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. They, like, cut to a break and then come back to it, too. Uh, It's, like, silent. There's no, like, it's just him, like, on top of her and her saying, please, no spike, until she finally, and she's not able to fight him off as well, like you said, because of her injury. Finally, she's able to kick him off, and she's like, you stopped, but only because I made you. This, This is the scene. This is the scene. That is like, this is what I've been saying, guys. Like, Spike doesn't have a soul. And I understand why we ship him. 
And I get why we liked the romance between them, but I've seen this scene. So when I go back and I watch previous episodes and people are like, oh, Spike's being cute. I'm like, I know this is coming. So this is why this has been so hard for me when the show wants us to ship them. But I have so much trouble because I know this scene is happening. I know this is going to happen. I thought this was going to go in like a romantic direction. The scene, I mean, before it really got that far, but like when he showed up in the bathroom, she's in like a bad place because he's like trying to get her to admit she loves him. And she kind of almost admits more than she has before that she does have feelings for him. She's just like not really willing to use the L word. He seems to have like an immediate realization that it was pretty fucked up what he just did. But that doesn't change that he did it. I forgot that he could hurt her. Well, that's why that Xander line is so important. He's like, mm-hmm. would you trust him if you didn't have the chip? And then she gets up and she's like, yeah, you talk about why I can't trust you? Yeah, she doesn't in that moment be like, well, actually, because I don't know if any of her friends know about that he can hurt her except Tara? Tara might? Yeah, Tara knows. Which Tara doesn't tell Willow unless she does off screen. I guess I'm interested to see what happens with Spike after this because obviously that's like a huge... Yeah. I don't know. Like I said before, I kind of wanted to ship them because the show's telling us to, but because of the toxic nature of their relationship, it it was hard. That's not how we wanted to see them. And I don't know, I guess because of the nature of their relationship, Spike somehow thought this would be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, back at the bronze, which has a new sign or entryway, I think. Yeah. Andrew is just sipping on the biggest cocktail, like a gigantic fruit skewer. Comically large. Like a little umbrella. Did Kirk's yummy bartenders make this? Yeah, I was just (laughs) Because Kirk specifically says the bartender put too much fruit in Lulu's drink. Yeah. Do you think that's an intentional connection? I I don't know. I mean, it could be. I think it is. Yeah, I mean. It just seems like it could have been any specific with the bartenders and they chose to go with too much fruit. Yeah. So I think it's a shout out to Buffy. It absolutely might be. Jonathan's obviously been growing suspicious of Warren and the trio's intentions, so he starts to pitch to Andrew that maybe the two of them should think about jumping ship. But Andrew snaps back, telling him Warren's the boss. He's Picard. You're Deanna Troy. Get used to the feeling, Betazoid. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. Warren's there hitting on some girl whose boyfriend walks up. Turns out this guy's an old bully of Warren, so Warren's excited to show off his new strength and invulnerability abilities and steal this guy's girl. Dude tries to fight Warren, but he can't. Warren punches him across the room. A couple other guys try to fight Warren. He sends them flying as well. Andrew does not put his drink down the rest of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) This guy goes flying across the bar. Andrew, with a straw in his mouth, sort of shovels out of the way. (laughs) Warren offers to buy some women drinks with money he stole from the register. He starts calling himself daddy to them. It's super gross. He's doing like this weird accent. Yeah, it's super gross. Ugh, Warren's so gross. Then Xander comes out of the bathroom trying to be a hero, but Warren uses what he knows about Anya having sex with Spike to get under Xander's skin. Xander tries to hit him, doesn't hurt him at all. And then Warren punches crash test dummy Xander into the air. Yeah, it looks fake as hell. It's done pretty well, but there's a brief second where whatever Warren hits is just a floppy body. Yeah. No bones. Mm Mm-hmm. Jonathan's like, hey, we gotta go or we're gonna miss that thing. So they leave. Xander goes to Buffy's house where he sees Spike's coat on the banister. He runs upstairs to accuse Buffy of still seeing Spike and finds her sad on the bathroom floor with a bruise on her leg, which I think we're to believe is from Spike. I think it's from the fight. I don't know because it seemed like she only hurt her side during the fight. You might be right. You might be right. She also hides it from Willow. Yeah. Xander wants to go after Spike, but Buffy doesn't want him to get involved and complicate things further. And then Willow bounces in to share a breakthrough on the hacking. 
And like we said, also clocks Buffy's bruise before Buffy hides it. So they have a little meaning. Xander outs himself as a Star Trek nerd by being the only one who can identify one of the documents they have as Klingon love poems. Yeah, yeah. He can read Klingon, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the documents are blueprints and schematics to a bunch of banks, vaults, armored van routes. So it seems like they're going to use these orbs to try to pull off a bunch of heists. Yeah, but they already did one of these. So I guess they spent all that on all their crazy equipment and stuff. Yeah, that was just one small bank and they got away with it. So why not go for more? I guess so. As Willow says, they are looking to score some serious De Niro. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> like Robert De Niro? <laughs> I can't believe no one on set called her on that. No one ever said that Willow knew how to speak Spanish. <laughs> but Willow says it seems like they're going to be hitting one of those targets tonight. Spike has returned home. He's having flashes of regret when Clem shows up for a little boy's night with a bucket of hot wings. <sighs> oh, Clem. Poor Clem. Because Spike's just having this whole moral dilemma. Why did I do this to the woman I love? But also, wait, why didn't I keep going? I'm supposed to be evil. Who even am I now? Man, Clem was just looking for a chill night in, but he came at such a bad time. <laughs> but he's about to be such a good friend to Spike. I knew he would. Yeah. He's like, Spike, man, girls who get brought back from the dead are always crazy. Spike's had a crazy ex-dead girlfriend. That's true. Then Spike starts to blame things on the chip. Things used to be so easy, but the chip won't let him be a monster. But he also can't be a man. But he says I can't be a man, kind of like he wishes he could be. So we'll see what happens there. But Clem's like, come on, Mr. Negative. You never know what's just around the corner. Things change. <laughs> He's so nice. <laughs> I love Clem. He's a super nice demon. Buffy, just date Clem. Yeah. He's your type. He's yeah. a demon. But he's nice. Your friends have met him. and They seem down. Every Scooby's going to be fine with you dating Clem. Except for Xander, who will be mad no matter who you're dating. But then Spike reflects on what Clem said about things changing. He's like, yeah, things change if you make them evil face. And later we see him heading out of town on his motorcycle mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. saying, get nice and comfy, Slayer. I'll be back. And when I do, things are going to change. I have been wondering what happened to his motorcycle. Yes, that he got in the beginning of the season. Yeah, they made a pretty big deal about him obtaining it, but we've barely seen it. I thought it was maybe going to play a bigger part. Cut to Sunnydale's theme park. This is new. I wonder if this was shot at a Six Flags because they prominently feature a deja vu roller coaster. Yeah. The park is closing for the night and the owner manager is depositing the money into an armored vehicle. But as the drivers are about to depart, Warren lifts up the truck and tips it on its side. What happened to the men inside? Were they just fine? We're fine? Like a Dragon Ball Z episode? What? No, there were guys inside the truck, and it just got tipped on its side, and we'd never see what happens to them. Uh, but I don't know. Are they just I mean, in the truck dead? I think they're fine. Maybe they ran away, I guess, once they saw what was up. Yeah, I mean, if the dude's lifting up the truck, what's your plan of beating that guy? Anyway, as Andrew's watching Warren do this, he says, I can't wait to get my hands on his orbs. So <laughs> I feel like they're making it very clear what's going on with Andrew. Jonathan's like, yeah, I'm sure he'll be giving them up any second now. Then Warren rips the door off the back of the truck, but Buffy's standing on top of it. Maybe she told the guys inside the truck to run, I guess? Yeah. They're probably like, oh, it's the Slayer. We're fine. So Warren and Buffy fight. Buffy can get hits on him, but it doesn't seem like she's actually able to hurt him. Yeah, he's invulnerable. I don't think he can actually be hurt. And she is super strong, but I don't think she's as strong as he is. Like, could Buffy lift a truck like he did? No, he is stronger than her. You can tell just from the fight. Yeah, I guess she's not really doing any damage to him. No, she's not. I will say, though... And I talked about this in season five that I would just have loved it if they had really played into the idea that Warren is stronger 
But like, she's just such a better fighter because she's practiced so much. I think it probably is just too much to expect someone to have like actual martial arts on the show from this low budget TV show. They're not going to be able to do that. But I would love it if he just isn't able to land most of the hits. But she just like Rocky Four just takes punches to the face repeatedly in this. Like she's blocking with her face several times. Is she healed at this point? They don't really address the fact that she's hurting during this fight. They don't. I think maybe we're supposed to get the idea that because she's hurt, he's getting more hits on her than he should have. Yeah, maybe. But my point is, I would have loved to see her, like, dodging. Like, I wanted to see her in glory. Just, like, she's a better fighter because she's been training so long that the strength's difference. Yeah. Because Giles used to, like, throw knives at her for fun. Yeah, exactly. She did pull off that spin move. To get away from the saws in this episode. They still, I think, eventually show that she is still a better fighter. Because even though he can't take damage, she is putting him down over and over again. She thinks she's defeated him when he bumps into a stone archway, causing it to crumble down on him and bury him in rubble. No! Shouts Andrew. (laughs) Buffy starts to threaten Andrew and Jonathan, but then Warren pops out of the rubble. So they fight again. Buffy reminds him he's a murderer. He's like, yeah, that's true. But I'm also the guy that beat you, not with muscles, but with brains. I kind of like that. I mean, Warren's obviously the worst. With someone who's not like a natural fighter, being able to find a way to use his brain to beat her is interesting. He's gotten pretty far as a genius. Part of me, though, Warren, is like, just build two fucking bots. That's enough to kill Buffy. Yeah. Like, one bot almost killed Buffy. Yeah, April came closer to killing Buffy than almost anything else has. Yeah, just do two of those, you're set. Andrew's shouting for Warren to kill Buffy. Jonathan's eyes are saying, uh, maybe let's not do that. Then he jumps on Buffy's back. Warren lets him do it because he thinks he's trying to fight her. But then Warren whispers in Buffy's ear to smash his orbs. So Warren pushes Buffy into a bench, breaking it in half, and he tells her to say goodnight, bitch. But when he pulls back his arm to deal his final blow, his jacket lifts up, revealing his fanny pack of orbs. Yep. Which Buffy rips off and smashes and says, Good night, bitch. That was awesome. And then she spin kicks him to the ground. It was awesome. I love it. Say good night, bitch. Good night, bitch. I loved it. I loved it. She tells him he's nothing but a sad little boy and he's going to pay. But then he takes off his jacket and he jetpacks away. Yep. What? <laughs> Looks great, by the way. That's sarcasm. Andrew tries to do the same, but he's standing under an awning. So instead he hits his head and knocks himself out. Also super funny. I loved that. These jetpacks must have been what was in those packages they got a few episodes ago that Jonathan wasn't privy to. But this is an important moment because Jonathan is like, um, you guys were betraying me because I didn't get a jetpack. Yes. So Jonathan and Andrew end up getting arrested. Jonathan's pissed because he realizes they were setting him up to take the fall. Andrew's upset because Warren left him. So he's now realized that he was being used as well and that Warren never really loved hanging out with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Back at the Summy res Willow and Tara are up in Willow's room. Oh, girl. They've decided to get dressed for now. Sweet summer child. Things seem to be going great for them. Yeah. For the next minute, at least. <laughs> They're kissing when Tara points out that Xander has arrived and is out in the backyard talking to Buffy. This is maybe not the time to be nitpicky, but I just don't think she was close enough to the window to see him from the second story. Yeah. Also, the curtains are closed. Sheer, but they're closed. She's magic, okay? Whatever. By the way, fun detail, Tara is wearing that blue sweater that Willow so desperately wanted to find in the episode where Buffy's mom dies. Oh, really? She let Tara borrow it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That seems significant. Why? Because it was an episode about death? Anyway, just finish this episode. It's almost done. Nothing happens. You're right. So, Buffy's poking around the garden with a stick. 
<laughs> Xander comes up behind her and says, time for the spring poking already. <laughs> I love that line so much. Super funny. It is weird. She's like, what the I hell know, is she doing? I was doing? like, what the fuck is she doing? She said she's making sure there were no more cameras, which makes total sense, but also definitely not something someone normally does in their yard. So fair question, Xander. <laughs> she tells him that Andrew and Jonathan got arrested, but she knows that Warren is still out there somewhere. And Xander tells her he's sure she'll find him because Warren won't be much good without his friends. Aww. Yep. They're making up. They're making up. So they sit down to talk. They're really trying to make the backyard a regular location this season. Yeah, I know. They're in the backyard so much this season, and we've, like, never seen it until this time. Maybe when they buried that zombie cat? Yeah, sure, sure. Xander says he's hurt, that she didn't trust him enough to tell him about Spike, but, like you said, points out that he understands why she didn't, since he probably would have been an ass about it. They both admit they've made a lot of mistakes lately. Xander says he doesn't know what he'd do without her and Willow. They hug, it's nice, and then Xander sees Warren coming in hot. He says, you think you could just do that to me? That I'd let you get away with it? And he pulls out a gun and starts shooting a bunch, kind of just randomly as he walks away. He does some Steven Seagal shooting, just doesn't even look where he's shooting the gun. Xander goes down, I think because Buffy pushed him. Then upstairs, we see Willow, splattered in blood. Oh my god. Your shirt, says Tara, with a hole in her chest as she collapses to the ground. Oh my god. Then Xander realizes that Buffy was hit in a similar spot. Oh my god. Buffy seems awake-ish. Tara does not. Oh my god. So Willow's understandably quite upset. She looks up and her eyes turn red. What's this? We've seen black eyes. We haven't seen red eyes before. So that's the end. Oh my god. It ended on a cliffy. Mm. So, Brian, was this a good episode? Yeah, it was a good episode. Different than Gilmore's, because Gilmore was like, here's a fun episode with some heartstring moments. This episode's like, uh, let's get real. Yeah. <laughs> let's get really, really real. When I say this is a good episode, like, there's just so much to talk about when it comes to that scene with Spike, okay? There's just so much. There's just so many things to talk about, to be upset about, to think about. Like, there's just, I, I don't even know where to begin or where to end. It's so much about that, but... It is, I, 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 uh, I do feel like it's, it makes sense, not makes sense like it's okay or good, but it makes sense for a character like Spike who doesn't have a soul. So he doesn't have that line in the sand about this is immoral, you can't do it. It makes sense why he thinks this would work. Not, not that it was okay, not that it, he should do it, but like, I, I like that the show was like, guys, Spike is a demon. So I like all that. And I'm super interested with what happens this episode. And obviously the ending is such a, such a crazy twist, right? Yeah. We go from this like beautiful moment of like Xander and Buffy making up and we're like, oh, I'm glad that they, you know, were able to put the differences aside. And then the writer's like, nah, it's not a happy ending, guys. And it's so cool because Warren is coming in hurt and humiliated and we get to see him for the little bitch he is. He just comes with a gun into her backyard in the middle of the day. Like, I'm gonna shoot you. I actually think this is really interesting. So- this whole season has been about the Scoobies dealing with real world problems. Yep. Yep. Like depression, drug addiction, toxic relationships. Yep. And though Warren and his friends have been using the supernatural a bit all season, they are just human villains. Mm -hmm. And now Warren is just here as this vulnerable human hurting Buffy and her friend with just a man-made killing object. I, I don't know. I just find that interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And the whole season... Buffy has, like, repeatedly had issues with guns. Mm -hmm. There's at least two, if not more, instances where there's a gun and she picks it up and she's like, these are worthless. Or like, I don't like these. 
And now we're seeing the payoff of that was like little Easter eggs for like, yeah, the guns, guns are bad. I mean, honestly, it's a little silly that no one sought to use a gun on her sooner. Right. Seems like the easiest way to deal with a slayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If a vampire had a gun, he's going to do way better against Buffy than a vampire without a gun. So, caveat, is this a good episode? Yes. Is it, like, a troubling episode? Oh, my God, yes. Is it a problematic episode? Well, some of the character stuff is problematic, but, like, that ending, though. Oh, my God. Like, we are, this is the drama. And then Spike leaving to, like, oh, my God. So. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that Spike scene was intense and pretty uncomfortable to watch. We don't like to see that. But it is interesting that they're reminding us that he's a monster. Yes. I had suspicion that something bad was going to happen to Tara probably soon. And in this episode, they seemed almost too happy for things to stay that way. But it all happened so fast at the end. I wasn't necessarily expecting that. Yeah, it was a very quick turn there at the end. I'm interested to see what happens to Spike. He's got too much fan love at this point for them not to redeem him after what he did in this episode. We can't just like leave it like that. I mean, unless he goes just full evil for the rest of the series. But I kind of doubt that'll be the case, since they sort of left it ambiguous what he's up to. Like, he's not sure if he wants to be a monster or a man. I'm guessing he's either going to get his chip removed so he can be a bad, bad vampire again, but he'll still have Buffy so he won't hurt her and her friends. Or he's somehow going to get a soul so he can be more like a man and him and Buffy can be together if everybody forgives him and she wants that. Well, you've got some thoughts correct and some thoughts incorrect. (sighs) He's going to have some work done. Nose job. Mostly Botox. <laughs> so we have to ask, which episode was better? Um, I think it was Buffy. Both were very good episodes, but that Buffy ending scene alone was just like such a powerful TV moment. Yeah. Both episodes had a big cringy moment. Yes. I get why both shows did what they did. And while Gilmore's is such a fun episode, I just think what Buffy did with their characters in this episode is a bit more real and impactful than what Gilmore Girls did with theirs. I'm so torn. I really don't know. Um, I'm torn, but I th- oh, I'm torn. Sounds like the he's Buffy, torn. Because Gilmore was very fun. And with, except for Lorelai, we had so many of those like nice moments where it's like, this is just what I want to see. I want to see Brian and Keon kissing. I want to see Lane happy, even if it's with Zach, you know? <laughs> I want to see Rory and Lane spend time together. I want to point out that this season of Gilmore Girls, just the last couple seasons, like we keep being told that her and Lane are best friends. And we had these like obligatory moments where they're like, oh, we're good friends. But they're so fleeting and short. Yeah. Like they don't really spend time together. No, not much lately at all. It's like Roy's like, I got to go. I'm staying up late to go to Lane's thing. And then like she goes, we see them together for two seconds and that's it. I don't know that they've ever really done a good job of showing us that they're actually close though. Sure. Especially the last couple seasons. Yeah. But regardless, I, I'm really torn. I uh, I think I'm going to go Buffy. Ooh. I think I'm going to go Buffy. It's a hard choice. They're so different. Much different tones. I think for me, the turning point was that ugly, the ugly drawing, the ugly painting above the the, the phone that ruined Gilmore for me. <laughs> right, that was the most disturbing thing that happened in either episode. Just so much happened in Buffy. Yeah, and that line, "Good night, bitch." Oh my god, I loved it. Like Chef's kiss, I loved it so much. Kind of wild that they both end on cliffhangers, specifically with realizing someone is hurt. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing Buffy's gonna fare better than Tara. Who knows what happened to Logan? But also, Gilmore Girls is so different. Like, I feel like they're not, maybe, but I really doubt they're just going to be like, yeah, Logan's dead. Right, right. But Buffy is a show where people can die. Right, just the very premise of the show is these people are putting their lives on the line often. Exactly. Whereas in Gilmore, I... It'd be a huge deal for someone to die. Yeah. 
Just Maybe someone like Dean could die off screen. We hear about it since he's not like actively in the show right now. But Logan dying would be kind of huge at this point. Yeah, I just don't feel like that's the case. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go Buffy. Great. Such an interesting episode. Anyway, if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 20, Villains. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 20. Super cool party people. <laughs> Very different episode title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the opposites. They ended kind of similarly this week, but next week they're going in very different directions. <laughs> different directions. Uh, I'm assuming it's about Michelle and his dance moves. Could be. In the meantime, we'd love to hear thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What did you think about that scene with Spike? Like, just all of your thoughts. We want to know all of your thoughts. Good, bad, ugly. What are you thinking? What are your thoughts on professors having tenure for? Again, <laughs> we didn't bring this up at all, but that's what Paris was writing her. Yeah, that was two Paris's articles, articles yeah. Why do you think Xander's clothes are meant to be on, like, a much larger man? Did Kirk pluck Troy, the yummy bartender from the bronze? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel. We host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls. We post monthly podcast outtakes and share early extended episode previews. Also, shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Libby Hall, Ingun Mjolnirud, Aaron Mullaney, Lauren Byers, and Marissa McManus. Thank you so much. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing by the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming podcast. You want to go see if our neighbors are fighting? Uh, yes. We got to see if that girl gets a new dad. This is what we do for fun now. Bye. Bye. Bye.